really, other than trying to reduce inflammation, there are no tools to help the brain heal after these injuries. And we uh, learned about early research done a number of years ago at University of California that showed certain um, hallucinogenic drugs, LSD, amphetamine, and DMT, the drug that we decided to pursue, actually help brain cells heal. I believe that we won't have the typical resistance that either politicians or the community in general might have, worrying that people will be running about on the streets um, in psychedelic madness and hallucinatory states. Hundreds of drugs have failed trying to protect the brain during the stroke. And really what we want to focus on, because the data is, is showing that this is the first time, and one of our lead consultants is Dr. David Nutt, who's a renowned uh, uh, physician in the UK, and he's a, a, a consultant to Algenon helping guide us. That the, This would be the first time we're talking about helping the brain heal. This podcast is sponsored by Grippable, the measurable, mobile and motivating device for weakened hand and arms. Bringing some serious fun to your rehab with Grippable. Visit www.grippable.co to buy or try now or email Grippable's friendly team at hello at grippable.co. Hello, welcome back to the Stroke Rehab Times podcast. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by Christopher Moreau. CEO of the Algernon Pharmaceuticals. Christopher, we'd like to start the podcast just in the same way with every guest, just getting to know the guest a little bit better and who they represent. So if you wouldn't mind just giving a, giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself and Algernon. Sure, sure. And and thanks, uh, thanks Andrew, for having me. So uh, uh, I, I'm Christopher Morrow. I'm the CEO and uh, on the board of a Canadian drug development company called Algernon Pharmaceuticals, and uh, Algernon is uh, a publicly traded company. We trade on the Canadian Stock Exchange uh, CSE, our symbol is AGN, for those uh, listeners who uh, would like to uh, go on and uh, learn a little bit about our uh, public company and how our stock trades. We trade on the OTC uh, in the U.S., OTCQB, our symbol is AGNPF, and um, we are a, a special drug development company in that we are focused on uh, drug repurposing, and that's finding new uses for drugs that have already been approved, that are off-patent, that are not widely genericized, but may in fact be repurposed to treat other uh, disease indications. And one of our focuses is the psychedelic drug NN-dimethyltryptamine, known as DMT. We're investigating that drug for its potential to treat stroke and traumatic brain injury. So we came. So how we came across to getting the kind of this podcast was uh, Dr. Rich Stressman kindly did an article for us on your work on, on DMT as we reached out to PRs looking for kind of alternate, alternate methods, if, if you will, for 
for stroke treatment after we had quite a successful article on uh, the use of cannabinoid products. And so we were really interested to get to learn more about DMT. So I guess the first question on, on that for, for you is, what was the inspiration behind the research into DMT? Well, yeah, I, I think the... Um... When you're when you're a publicly traded company and you're developing drugs, the uh, some of the first uh, motivators are: is there an unmet need? And the uh, there is a huge unmet need in the area of stroke and traumatic brain injury. There are two kinds of strokes that someone can suffer. One is uh, an ischemic stroke where there's a blockage. Uh, of the blood flow to the brain. That's about 85% of, of strokes. The other type is called hemorrhagic, where you have a, a bleed in the brain, about 15%. Uh, of the 85%, the ischemic stroke, there uh, are only really two options for treatment, and they only can be used on about 15% of folks that suffer an ischemic stroke. So you have 85% of people who have had an ischemic stroke uh, sitting in the ICU in our hospitals waiting uh, for the stroke to resolve on its own and the physicians are waiting they're keeping you stable with IV fluids they're trying to keep your blood pressure down and heart rate but it's called watchful waiting there is no treatment and uh, the same really goes for traumatic brain injury which can be um, a caused from a slip and fall and can be non-penetrating, still a severe outcome, or you can have a penetrating uh, brain injury. And uh, really, other than trying to reduce inflammation, there are no tools to help the brain heal after these injuries. And we uh, learned about early research done a number of years ago at University of California that showed certain um, hallucinogenic drugs, LSD, amphetamine, and DMT, the drug that we decided to pursue, actually help brain cells heal by uh, or recover, in essence, through a process called neuroplasticity. So it helps the brain cell grow, the neuron, and in growing more uh, points of connection, these are these dendritic spines that come out of the neuron, the more of those spines, the more synapsis opportunities, the greater the chance for connection, the greater the chance for the brain to try to navigate around the area that's been damaged by your brain injury, make new connections, rewire, and uh, hopefully allow you to try to carry on your life without the, uh, as serious a deficit that you might have if you didn't have that uh, neuroplasticity process going on. So. It was a combination of market need. There's a, always, of course, that's a, a need for humanity. And then is there a drug that we could investigate that might uh, be a treatment option? So how do you deal with kind of, I guess, the, the negative kind of old school views towards hallucinogenics? Because, I mean, I know in the UK it's taken so long for medical cannabis to become kind of socially accepted. And then even now they're putting in more measures to kind of keep register of that. I think the, the, there was talks of the bringing new ID cards in. And there's, I know in the UK, trials like this are, quite, are pretty limited. I know in, in Scotland, I think they were testing with uh, ketamine to, for certain kind of traumas, I believe. 
Mm-hmm. So yep. how, how do you deal with those kind of traditional views and how does the use of hallucinogenics for medical reasons become more socially acceptable? Well, I, I think it's, we, we have to go back and maybe try to understand why hallucinogenic drugs have been vilified and demonized, in my view, and the data or the, um, the uh, information shows that it, they were really uh, highly regulated for political reasons, in my view. And uh, this was the era of the Vietnam War, hallucinogenic drugs tied into opposition to the war in Vietnam. The U.S. government really clamped down. But if we just look at it as scientists and we, we, we take the fear out of it, we realize there are a, a large number of approved um, compounds or drugs that can cause hallucinations. If anyone listening has ever heard about a, a drug called morphine, as an example, uh, taking certain amounts of morphine can cause uh, lots of hallucinations. I used to, uh, uh, my mom, who was uh, sort of in that mindset about she doesn't like to take drugs, uh, had to have a few surgeries. And of course, they treat with morphine. And she told me once at the hospital, she said, you know, Chris, I'm seeing things on this drug. And I said, mom, relax. That's why some people do take that drug. They want to see things, but it's helping your pain. And so let's, uh, let, let's just let things happen. So Back to your point, really, we, I, I think the, uh, the key issue is, is one step at a time, one drug at a time, one indication. We have the approval of ketamine in uh, the U.S. to treat depression. There's exploration of compounds uh, like psilocybin and uh, psilocin and now DMT. In our case, interestingly enough, we would plan on treating people in hospital who have had a stroke in the ICU with an intravenous treatment. So we are not going to be advancing um, uh, setting up shops on the corner so that folks can come in and buy DMT. And I'm not uh, making any political statement about whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying that as a pure pharma play, Algenon Pharma is focused on the data. We are going to, we're currently in a phase one study now. We plan on moving into a phase two where we can make uh, DMT available to patients that have had a stroke. And if patients are showing recovery from the use of DMT in a clinical setting, I believe that we won't have the typical resistance that either politicians or the community in general might have worrying that people will be running about on the streets um, in psychedelic madness and hallucinatory states. I, I mean, this, is, uh, this isn't this is about uh, science. That's about other issues. We're about science. We're about the data. And one more final point, Andrew. We're actually not intending to treat people with a psychedelic dose. And this is important because uh, we've found in the data and also with our own research, that you don't need to have the psychedelic dose of DMT to actually uh, encourage your neurons to start to recover. So this neuroplasticity, this rewiring of the brain that happens, does not require a dose that would have you see colors and the almighty and uh, aliens and, and having this uh, uh, 
kaleidoscope experience of hallucination. And I think it's intuitive. When you've had a stroke, it's a brain injury. We're talking about an older population. Many stroke drugs have failed because they did cause hallucinations. People were jumping out of beds, breaking hips. So um, we, uh, we're not concerned about that element. And uh, that, that gives you some insight into why I'm not concerned about uh, current restrictions or limitations on, uh, on DMT. Yeah, I guess physical evidence is the best form of ed education in this sort of sort of scenario. You know, the, you can see that it that it works and it and it helps. So, and I mean, especially with the limited kind of options there is for stroke treatment at the minute. I mean, in the UK, we're having a bit of a crisis through the ambulance waiting times to the limited availabilities of treatments there is for stroke. Um, there's a big push in the UK for thrombectomy at the minute, but mm -hmm. there's so many centres in the actual, like in the UK, where that's available. It's typically just uh, thrombolysis, which can can be applied. Right, so, and so, and with with thrombectomy, Andrew, you have to have a large vessel occlusion. So that means that the ischemic blockage needs to be in a vessel large enough where you can go in and mechanically remove the blockage. And again. In total, TPA, which is the clot-busting drug, and thrombectomy combined only represent about 15% of the treatable ischemic stroke population, which is about 85% of all strokes. So it's a very small number of people can have that as a treatment. Yeah, I mean, the positive news is I know there's studies going on. I think it's the University of Hamburg, I believe, in Germany, uh, starting to look at whether it's safer to use whether it is safe to use thrombectomy in, in narrower vessels. And I mm -hmm. think those results so far are starting to look positive, which is mm -hmm. which is great news. But, um, mm -hmm. For sure. So where, where does the, the DMT dosage come, come into play? Is it kind of after those traditional traditional treatments or is it like further down the, down the line? So uh, good question. What we let, Let's go with the data. So just to follow the data stream, we talked earlier, I did, about the early data at University of California where they exposed neurons to various um, uh, psychedelic drugs, LSD, uh, amphetamine, DMT, and you saw this, this neuronal growth. So the next big study, and specifically regarding strokes, was a study done by Nardi in Hungary about two years ago, they published. It's called a rat a rat stroke occlusion model. So they block off one side of the rat's brain surgically. They create an injury and then they treated with DMT. And uh, they treated very quickly after the injury. And this is important as a scientist when you look at uh, clinical, sorry, when you look at animal studies, you're hoping that the animal model is reflective of what could happen in a clinical setting with people. Sometimes you'll have an animal study where they pre-treat the animal and then they uh, create the injury and then look for the data. But unless you have an opportunity to be prophylactic with a patient, giving it to them ahead of time, and how do you plan for a, a stroke? Uh, you have risk factors, but it's... Uh, so in this, my, my point here is that uh, treatment happened very quickly after the stroke was induced in the rat. And after the uh, provision of DMT, the DMT rat group 
um, showed almost a full recovery of motor function in 30 days and a diminished infarct volume. That's the area of dead cells. So in the, in the clinical context, what it tells us is that we want to try to treat patients as soon as we can. Now, um, you mentioned the UK stroke model um, or for treatment. I understand that in London, there's actually quite a, an efficient program that was put into place. I think there's, it's 17 minutes on average to one of eight high-risk stroke centers if you're suspected of having a stroke, 13 minutes to be imaged, the physician needs to know if you have had either an ischemic or a hemorrhagic because they obviously treat you differently. If you have a hemorrhagic stroke, they don't want to give you a blood thinner to break it up. You're actually going to bleed out. And, and so uh, how quickly could we treat a patient with DMT? Uh, we're going to learn in our phase two study. Um, we, uh, you know, if, if in fact in our first study, we'll likely treat patients after they've been uh, diagnosed as ischemic. And then in that group, we would have DMT, we would have placebo, we may have DMT plus TPA, DMT plus thrombectomy. And, you know, we'll see how, how the, what the data looks like after 24, 48, uh, one week and 30 days. Could we start treating patients as soon as they get to the hospital before we know if it's hemorrhagic or ischemic? You know, there is this element of neuroprotectiveness that we saw in the rat stroke model. So maybe it's reducing the damage that's going on. As you know, stroke's quite complex. You've got this reduction of oxygen. Uh, it's hypoxic. There's a reduction of, of glucose. You have the, the brain starts to shut down. The uh, uh, electric signals are, uh, your brain goes into this sort of power saving mode and then there's a collapse and you've got all this widespread damage in this infarct area, uh, the penumbrum and uh, outlying areas. So we may be able to treat quite early. I know there's a study in Canada going on with the drug where they're trying to treat patients in the ambulance if you're suspected of having a stroke. And you can do that as long as you're able to show that treating early doesn't have a negative effect. So we have lots to learn about when we could actually uh, deliver DMT to patients. Because essentially time, time is brain, right? With, with stroke, obviously millions of neurons die every minute that you go, go and treat it. So you would think that the sooner the better, but um, at the end of the day, it's the safety of that. Yes. And well, then, the, you know, the, again, hundreds of drugs have failed trying to protect the brain during the stroke. And really what we want to focus on, because the data is, is showing that this is the first time, and one of our lead consultants is Dr. David Nutt, who's a renowned uh, uh, physician in the UK, and he's a, a, a consultant to Algenon helping guide us, that the, this would be the first time we're talking about helping the brain heal after a stroke, but also after a traumatic brain injury. And... Um, you know, when, if you've had a penetrating injury or the brain's been through a concussive event, uh, the brain is shaken and you've got this damage, very tough uh, at the, at the um, uh, micro uh, level to be trying to protect. But healing after, uh, the data shows that a stroke patient, about 85% of your 
potential personal recovery will come within four to five weeks. And uh, providing uh, a drug that can help the brain rewire, reconnect, make new neural pathways, this is really exciting. It hasn't really been focused on before. And I think that's the hope of, of what DMT represents. I think the the, the stroke sector in the whole, uh, especially in the, the sides of treatment and rehabilitation is, is very exciting at the minute. It's kind of an area that's been left kind of to its own devices, if, if you will, for so long. But now, you know, with the kind of introduction to AI and machine learning, and then along with the, the research you're doing, I think, I think the, the sector's looking very bright. Um, just this week, I spoke with a guy called uh, Benedict, who's the CEO of a company called Sonome, and mm -hmm. they're working on developing a digital health twin, uh, which looks at kind of after stroke, and uses biomarkers to be able to understand how that rehabilitation process is going for the patient and kind of predict where that rehabilitation process is going. So, I mean, that along with the research you're doing, stroke could become a very, well, the, the treatments could get better and certainly start developing better outcomes for stroke patients. I agree. It, it is a... You know, things get cyclical. So many stroke drugs failed in the last 20 years, then sort of there, there hits a point of exhaustion. Researchers and investigators start to move on where they think they can have some impact. And then new technology presents new ideas and you get this sort of cyclical. But, you know, we as, as humanity can't afford those uh, uh, slowdowns. We, we've got to keep working on all areas of, of disease indication. Um, and that just takes sometimes some fresh eyes, creative ideas. And we think that uh, the psychedelic drug DMT could uh, play a huge role in, in brain injuries going forward. Yeah. So I think my, my last question to you, Christopher, is just what would your perfect timeline for the research into the DMT look like to you? So I think we'll be, so right now I mentioned earlier, in the Netherlands, we're conducting a phase one trial of 60 patients. This is an escalating dose study. And just to give some clarity, the psychedelic dose in humans is 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. That was established by Dr. Rick Strassman in the 90s in his research, giving DMT intravenously through a bolus injection. So a one squeeze of the uh, syringe, DMT goes in your system. One thing about DMT is it has a half-life of about eight minutes, so it clears very fast, also makes it an ideal therapeutic uh, uh, drug because you can stop it very, very quickly. And so we don't we want to get close to that 0.2 milligrams. Again, we don't want people to have a psychedelic experience, and that's defined as either uh, uh, it could be auditory, it's visual, it's disassociative effect. So we, we, there's three parts to the first phase of our phase one, 0 0.5, 0 0.1, and 0.15 milligrams. Those are the three escalating doses we're going to give uh, or have been giving our patients. We're giving it to them intravenously over six hours. has never been studied before. And although we're not worried about the aggregation of toxicity, um, We've now seen in our first two cohorts that six hours of DMT steady, 
concentration IV, no issues at all. We've actually announced that we've had approval from our safety uh, review board to keep going. So our final uh, dose is uh, uh, 0.15 and for six hours. Uh, when, when that part of the study is done, probably in the next month, we'll choose the best dose and then we're going to give it to patients uh, six hours every two days for two weeks. Again, we're trying to push the boundaries of how much DMT can we give a patient. When DMT gets into the body and gets into the brain, it binds with sigma-1. That's a receptor. Sigma-1 produces BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. That is a key protein in helping neuroplasticity or the brain to heal. I would expect this study to wrap up in the fall, and we would... We're hoping to, to begin our phase 2A study with stroke patients in either Q1 or Q2 of next year. And that is really going to be an exciting time when the rubber hits the road, so to speak, where we can actually uh, start treating patients that have had a stroke and see if DMT is reducing their deficit. And, and that's what we're hopeful about. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm very excited to see how the phase two a goes and looking forward to covering on sr times and hopefully maybe speak again next year when things okay. are getting started look forward to chatting anytime and thanks to your listeners for uh, uh for tuning in today and, and we'll talk soon andrew thank you again brilliant thank you very much for your time christopher